0: This is an AMI podcast.
1: I'm Kelly McDonald.
0: I'm Ramia Amadin and this is Kelly and Ramia.
1: I kind of felt like I didn't know when Sue was describing the Kit Brock in our last segment, you know, and how to set that up and everything. I was kind of like so do you just leave them to grow in the kit, or do you have to move? You know, I, I, it was really educational that way. But the one thing I discovered is I don't think I'd have the patience she would to wait another, you know, if I planted now another six weeks before I could eat, if I enjoyed those oyster mushrooms as, as she and her husband did. That would really make me like, wow, I'd have to run simultaneously staggered. A bunch of these kits if i really enjoyed that to get enough and i know some people would probably say well it's a lot of work just for one real meal like you're waiting all that time but as you could hear in sue's voice it was well worth it eh
2: yeah no i mean i think it's very cool when you consider that you know it just grows in the kit that it comes in and you don't really you just put it where you want it and there we go it just goes Uh on and that's the beautiful thing about gardening
1: yeah, and especially when everything's set and it should just go like that. Not a problem. And and really, you get that benefit and enjoyment. And just do your your spritzing, as she was saying. And and six weeks later, there you go. Folks, it's time for our app update. So let's welcome in as we check in with John Beeler.
0: Hi, I'm John Beeler, technology expert from Vancouver. Join me on Kelly and Ramya, where I share the latest app, mobile and tech news. Everything from accessibility and product launches to privacy and security will cover the gamut.
1: Well, and today we're doing that, going all over the place. John's got some great selections for us. Welcome back, John. And I guess we're going to start with DuckDuckGo's browser, adds encryption, uh, privacy-minded sensing, and backup. Wow, this is this is fantastic.
0: Yeah, we've talked about DuckDuckGo before. Uh, it's very yeah. privacy-focused uh, as far as hiding your browser information uh, from, you know, advertisers and, and the like, and uh, nothing's being sold, you're, you're not seeing any ads, those kinds of things. Um, but they've just added a new feature, I think, that's really cool. Um, when you have Chrome, for example, on your desktop and, say, on your phone, you invariably would want to sync across those devices, so you don't have to have a a second set of bookmarks and uh, your history and all that type of stuff. And so you would typically log into that uh, your Chrome account and log into both devices with that same Chrome account, and then essentially Google will sort of connect the dots for you. The problem with that is from a privacy perspective is that Google has said that they're anonymizing your information and uh, basically using it for lots of different reasons. Um, DuckDuckGo, though, has come up with a very clever workaround uh, for this problem. And so you can have DuckDuckGo installed on multiple devices you don't need an account. You don't need to log into anything. You literally just use QR codes that will yeah. tell the other device to copy from the other one and sync across the Internet in an encrypted format. DuckDuckGo uh, has said that they don't see anything. Uh, they It's all encrypted. It's completely anonymous. Uh, it's not used for any other purpose, and nothing can see it, no other machine right. or can see it, so I think that's a really cool way of uh, sort of protecting your privacy, one hundred percent, but also giving you that, that 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 convenience and flexibility of being across multiple devices with the same browser.
1: Where do you see, or who do you see, taking from this themselves? Is there a a, a reason that some of the others may not? Want to do a do you know set theirs up or make alterations for this kind of convenience? Um, I mean, I, I'm I'm assuming we're seeing it in some other places in different ways, like you said. But do you think this is a model of what we're going to see go forward? I
0: would like to think that, but I think most companies have uh, the bottom line in mind, so uh, they're probably not going to enable that functionality. I could see a company like Apple maybe uh, offering that kind of functionality, but they already kind of have that feature with uh, your Apple ID, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, yeah. They've claimed that they're not selling that information. They can't see it. It's all encrypted. Uh, it's the same type of thing. But the fact that Google has literally admitted that they're using your anonymized data uh, for lots of different reasons is a little bit concerning. Um, and this basically should put most people's minds to
1: rest. Yeah. like When you think about how huge that business alone is for them to sell that kind of information for to advertisers, to whomever. And I don't even want to start thinking who the heck would want all that other than advertisers. I don't know if we want to know. Probably not. No.
2: Okay. John judge rejects most chat GPT copyright claims from book authors. Mm. Yeah, this is a
0: very important, uh, point in the whole AI uh, Mm -hmm. training model uh, setup, because a lot of authors and uh, intellectual property owners are concerned that their material is being used to train these AI models. uh, And that when you ask it to write you a book or write me a joke or something like that, you're being basically uh, unintentionally um, copying someone else's work. Now, What we do know from how these language models work is that they're inspired by, but not necessarily verbatim, uh, repurposing a joke that Sarah Silverman would have wrote in one of her books. And that was one of the claims is that this is straight up copyright theft. And the judge basically said they didn't have a good enough case to prove this because one of the things that ChatGPT is not doing, is it's not recreating that work of art in book form. For one thing, right, uh, which which is a little you know a little syntaxy thing, but essentially, if I have the ability to read a book that I would have normally had to pay for, that's a different kind of angle for that. But I think this is just really interesting that they've rejected all but one of the claims, uh, other than straight up copyright, like copying the text mm-hmm. that's being used. in the the language models. Um, And OpenAI has uh, said that they're planning to get that defeated very soon as well, because I guess they have evidence to prove that that is not the case. Um, They haven't shared that yet, but uh, it's just a really interesting sort of um, uh, back and forth cat and mouse game with intellectual property owners and these large language model systems that are creating AI for these purposes. we're starting to see it almost everywhere now, as we've talked about yeah. many times in this program. Uh, and uh, the fact that there is some information in there that might seem like it comes from a specific type of source, or even things when you ask it to, you know, write me a joke in the style of, uh, you have the, uh, the, these models have all of this information to sort of draw upon. Uh, it seems inevitable that sometimes something would come out that would be directly linked back to a specific individual that would have created it. But it's also really difficult to prove.
1: It's almost I like they here... treat it. Oh, go ahead, Rob.
2: I guess here the 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 essence is in order to have a copyright claim, you better have your I's dotted and your T's crossed because you can have the essence of something, but it has to be really specific. So I guess ultimately, John, you're not really surprised that most of these were denied, I gather.
0: Um, I'm not sure how I feel about this because I think it this is definitely a very complicated matter. Um, it just depends on how people are utilizing the outputs from these AI tools. Um, If I was to write a comedy book using AI and then publish it, and then it turns out that large chunks of it are directly derived from someone else's work, that would be problematic, of course. Um, and and people certainly are writing books using AI or having AI write books for them and selling them, uh, everything from how-to and self-help and those types of things to actual fiction. So it's just really interesting to see how people are using this, but also how people can protect Protect themselves for any work that they do legitimately create on their own without the help of AI, uh, and prevent that from being part of this system. Uh, the other question I would have too for some of these books is how did they get into the language models in the first place? Was it because they made these available as eBooks that were publicly scrapable, or was it something that was more nefarious in the sense that a pirated copy of this book got into a public archive and got pulled up in in that way? So there's lots of different little nuances to this, and it's a very complex um situation for the lawyers and the judges to sort out. Um, but it's fascinating to watch from the sidelines.
1: Yeah, you wonder on what knowledge the judges weighing in on the case have, but they almost treat it just as if somebody's asking a smart speaker a question and pulling the information up from Wikipedia and just saying, well, that's available. That's like saying that they're stealing that information for whatever their purpose is. It's so right now hanging on that edge of, well, but the information is there. But like you just pointed out, the key is this case. How is it there? Where did it come from? Um, and, and I have to question, you know, when a judge goes down a slippery slope like this or opens the door for it, you know, judge, do you know kind of what you're doing? Do you understand it? And And maybe no one really does yet.
0: Well, and we, we've seen this with technology companies going before Congress in the U.S., where you can clearly tell that the politicians don't have a clue about the technology yes. they're talking about, and some, you know, misinformation or some other misunderstanding of the technology has led them to have this big, uh, you know, investigation into some of these technology pieces uh, of the puzzle, and uh, it's very difficult to argue against something you don't understand, uh, I- and AI is still very much in that realm for a lot of people so it's really hard to say and under even even the creators of these ai tools don't fully Mm -hmm. understand how it works sometimes too so
1: yeah and we're going to see a lot of times as they mess around with it and somebody says oh wow i didn't realize it would figure that out or it would draw that conclusion or isn't that a surprise i think ai is going to be that one one thing where we hear about a lot of these things that people, my God, I didn't know it could do that. Well, it's because you're creating in such a way, and it's developing and teaching on its own in such a way that you're like, whoa, 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 it's speeding ahead of me. Um, Apple made an AI image tool that lets you make, make edits by simply describing them. How does this work, John? Fantastic. Again, this is just the the continuing evolution of
0: AI at warp speed. Um, Apple has um, released a research paper about this new model. They call it the the MGIE model, uh, which they've worked on with the University of California, Santa Barbara. And essentially, you tell it what you want to do. Instead of using Photoshop and using a mouse or a trackpad to actually manipulate uh, an image, you just say, well here's a picture of some pizza, make it look more healthy, and it'll add vegetables to your pizza, you know, those types of things. Being able to tell it to, you know, remove uh, someone from the background, again, not having to, like, highlight them and identify them and things like that. Just say, like, remove the woman in the background of this photo, and and they can do that. But you can also tell it to do things, like, very simply and very uh, plain language in a very plain language way like uh, for example if you had a photo of a laptop with a screen on it and you wanted to make it look more interesting for say your website or whatever you could say change the uh, let the laptop have a green web page on it and it would just find a green web page and put that and replace the image that's on the laptop you don't have to do anything you just talk to it like a normal person just like if you were talking to a designer you would say well make this sunnier make the blue sky bluer or you know those types of things you can have that conversation uh literally in a in a chat box with this image editing tool
1: man wow anything you see potentially and we always know there's some way somebody's going to use something um maybe this is more real that because it just sounds so powerful so unbelievable and other than hey well this is Take away jobs, and again, we're. I, I'm sure at this point there's a level of simplicity that you have to have within the pictures and using certain, certain dialogue as you speak. Maybe not too specific, but specific enough.
0: Yeah, I, I think there's a number of issues with this particular type of uh, editing. Generally, these types of tools are very low resolution, so they're not going to be replacing, you know, high end graphic designer type work at this point but you can see where it's going and and you know the this the struggle that i have with these tools is it's really cool it's really amazing that you know this democratizes technology to a lot more people that would normally have to hire somebody um mm-hmm. but then also if i'm that person that was being hired i'm no longer getting those jobs um yeah. so i need to look for new work <laughs> so there's there's this a uh, tug of war that's happening uh i think for a lot of people when they struggle with how amazing these tools are but also the limitations of them still are uh, you know it's still very rudimentary and very basic at this point like you mentioned it's still not, yeah. you're not getting it to create, you know, uh, a work of art, although you can get some pretty creative stuff out of some of these AI tools, but being able to manipulate it and and just describing it in, in common language, that's groundbreaking in a lot of ways, just in, in the, you know, computer to human interaction uh, space alone, being able to describe something and that the computer understands in that scope of that image, there is something that needs to be changed and change it in a certain way to get a design result. As we've seen with a lot of these tools, sometimes when you're describing stuff, you have to be very specific and very implicit about what you're actually saying. So a lot of times it's all about the prompt engineering, as Mm, they call it. Right. Basically the syntax that you're using, the computer has to understand the words that you're using to say that's the desired result but the interesting thing with these tools as we've said before is you can continue to have a conversation and and you start off with say maybe the wrong result but then you can say well hey can you fix this can you refine that can you do this can you do that and you you have this continuing conversation it's not just a one and done uh, expression that you ask it to do something and then you have to start all over again Um, you get to refine or you can revert back to earlier versions those types of things um mm. as far as you know the 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 negative stuff um, as you mentioned kelly people are going to use this to change what these things look like uh for for whatever political or personal gain whatever you know even just for memes um those kinds of things that's not going to stop what is interesting though is a lot of companies that are making these tools are embedding invisible watermarks so that it can be detected as ai manipulated image which i think will go a long way to help some of this stuff For sure.
1: For sure. John, you know we're out of time. I better stop asking questions because the head's full of curiosity about it. We'll talk to you next week. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you, sir. John Beeler joining us. We do the app update every Friday right here on the program. Brock and I will return in a second. And in a moment, Uber is at it again, making some head-scratching decisions. Beth Deer, she's here. She'll tell us more about that on The Buzz. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Juita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.